This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Okay, are we ready now? I am ready. Okay. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, everybody. Hi, Intertrekkies. Welcome back to Intertractional Season 3. Dun, dun. Picard. Picard. It's here. (laughs) We're doing recaps slash like telling you what we think about this as it goes. Oh, can we do a shout out really quick? I wanted to shout out Gothic Girl for giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed your review and uh, glad that you're talking about this stuff with your friends. It's awesome. Um, I also just wanted to thank everyone who filled out the survey. We're going to pick a winner soon. And uh, also, if you gave me your email address, I'll be contacting you about how to get a sticker to you. Um, And if you want a sticker, but you're like, oh, no, I missed the survey, (laughs) um, you could check out our PodFan, because anyone who donates to us on PodFan, in addition to getting our bonus episodes, will also get a sticker in the mail. And that's pod.fan slash intertractional pod.fan slash intertractional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. moving on, uh-huh. how do we feel about Star Trek Picard episode one, Remembrance? I liked this. I'm excited for it. I want to know what happens next. I am excited by uh, John Stewart, Patrick Stewart's performance. And I want to know about this new world. I'm also... Uh, I also feel like there were a lot of ideas that were old and taken from other sci-fi, which isn't necessarily new for Trek, but um, it has the potential to be kind of like been here, been there, done that. Yesterday, you said that it felt more like Battlestar Galactica than Star Trek. It's exactly Battlestar Galactica. It's like Star Trek does Battlestar Galactica. It's like, what if (laughs) you guys... It's like, what if Star Trek had Cylons? What if we had, what if we had, what if we had robots and, but they're made out of flesh and blood and you can't tell if they're a robot or not. And some of them don't even know that they are robots. And there are other people who look exactly like them. And then someone's like, didn't Ronald D. Moore already do this? Shut up. (laughs) We invented Ronald D. Moore. (laughs) I mean, that's true. He did grow out of Star Trek. So I guess anything that he does is like the property of Star Trek. Someday he'll do Star Trek (laughs) colon Outlander. I'm I'm obsessed with Outlander. Um, But okay, yeah, no, I I mean, it's absolutely that we... uh, uh, we're in this world where post like synthetics slash Cylons slash replicants slash whatever androids you want to call them are like the bogeyman du jour. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For this particular episode, I I don't want to be like the the like contrarian or the naysayer or whatever because I think that the reception is generally good based on what mm-hmm. I've been seeing reviews wise. Oh, I I read a really bad review today. <laughs> okay, I can, I can send it to you. <laughs> okay, uh, because I, I 
I don't know. It's it's weird when an episode of television has like all kinds of action set pieces and yet feels like it's treading water. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what I felt like this episode was doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it has a lot of heavy lifting to do to like set up what's actually going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, as the first episode, that's kind of what you have to do. And and so. But like, uh, I'm excited to talk about the Romulans. I'm excited to talk about uh, like what makes Star Trek Star Trek because I feel like that's something that's been up for debate for a few years and definitely something that's going to be brought up by this episode. <laughs> uh, I really liked this first scene. It was, I mean, the opening shots of these like various nebulae are bonkers beautiful. Yeah. 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 And this is, um, I, this is like right before we go into sort of his dreamland with data and he's uh they're actually they're in 10 forward uh playing poker and it's very like if you are watching the show because you miss tng it's like hitting all the feels immediately oh my god all of them it's like we got the poker we got the like you know important conversation while the poker is happening we mm-hmm. have the earl gray hot and the mm-hmm. special mugs that i love there's a lot of earl gray hot in different mugs in this episode yeah. that i was like totally tuned into um this is the first time i think i've ever seen captain picard pour tea though yes yeah yeah which might have been our our first clue that something was up i had based on watching the trailer and knowing that Data was dead, I had assumed that this scene was going to take place in the holodeck. And so that's sort of what I was thinking when it started. And then it becomes very clear that it is a dream slash nightmare. Uh, mm-hmm. Dream slash nightmare. A recurring theme on Intertractional. <laughs> yeah, we don't know yeah. which is which. Uh, Picard has a great line. The dreams are lovely. It's the waking up that I'm beginning to resent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like mm-hmm. we're clearly like being made aware that Picard is not content with his current situation. Um, and I'm also like I'm just generally intrigued by the use of dream in this episode. Yeah. Because um, he yeah. has another dream and – in a way, they're both kind of prophetic. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the episode's called Remembrance. Right. Um, and there's, I feel like, a lot of links in our brains and it, as a literary device between flashbacks and memory and, and dreams. And then they're also future-looking, uh, and, which I feel like that was one of the first things I Googled about dreams in middle school, like when Google started existing or AltaVista, as I was like, do dreams tell the future? And like, that's, that's something that's like really ancient, uh, people wondering if their dreams are going to come true. Mm-hmm. And, and then also like our other main character in this episode also has some dreamlike visions as well. So this is like a, a motif. Yeah, in this episode. It is. And it's like, I, I think it's a, an effective, like, storytelling device. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, thinking a lot about it and thinking about, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how interesting the question, like, what is Trek? Is this Trek actually is? I think that a lot of fan winking happens around that question. And yet, I am, well, like, 
while I like this device in this episode, I think that it is, it, it's one of the ways that it feels like it isn't Trek. Because mm. I think this like dreams are the thing that kind of point the way is uh, not super rooted in science. Trek or at least, I, yeah, at yeah. least not hard science. Maybe psychology or, or social science. Interestingly, when you were saying that, I sort of like quickly rifled through my brain to think like, have we ever had any characters with a lot of dreams? And um, I can think of a few instances, but the one that's relevant here is one of the first characters who we saw really taking his dreams very seriously was Lieutenant Commander Data. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's yeah. one of the ways that he uh, he like explores being human. Uh-huh. I, the only other symbolic thing I wanted to note about this scene was that um, we're sort of brought into this TNG-like world and then rudely awakened from it mm-hmm. uh, by the explosions that Picard sees on Mars out the window, just as, like, Picard was rudely awakened from his, like, dream career in Starfleet by, like, the actual tragedy on Mars. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. This tragedy on Mars, which we talked a little bit about in our episode, It's Hard to Be 12. Because mm-hmm. um, it is. It is. Is that the the Mars colony was destroyed by synths at the point in time when the Federation was mounting a massive evacuation effort to get the Romulans off of their planet before it was about to go supernova. Yeah. Um, and that's like a that's like a topic of conversation throughout this episode. Yeah. Um but it's also the reason that Picard just like chose to leave Starfleet. Yeah. Um because after this devastating um synth attack on Mars, the rescue mission for the Romulans was halted. Yeah. Um, And Picard took that as a real personal blow, I think in part because he was advocating strongly. He was one of the strong advocates for this evacuation in the first place. Um, And I think secondly, because, I mean, at this point, I'm fuzzy on the logical link between these synths coming in and destroying the Mars colony and how that's related oh, yeah, absolutely. to Romulan evacuation. I kind of have a thought from that question, but I want to put a pin in it for mm-hmm. a second. So uh, our next scene, we go to Greater Boston, which the um, TV tells us in like some text at the bottom. <laughs> and Greater Boston is like very uh, glow. You lived in Boston. Yeah. Is it like that? No. <laughs> yeah, so this is future Boston. <laughs> yeah, it's future Boston. There's a lot more, uh, like, New York-style lights at night and a lot less emphasis on red brick brownstones. Yeah. Um, but we're there because we are about to meet Dodge. Yes. Who's the, like, other main character of this episode. Yes, and she's, like, brilliant and beautiful and hanging out with her hot boyfriend who is uh he is clocked to species yeah so he's a zahian mm-hmm. um which if you were paying attention to discovery zahians are one of the many alien races that we encounter first in discovery and that the like the queen lady who befriends tilly mm-hmm. 
And she's the one we meet. That yeah, we've met before. Apparently, they also have some sort of like extra special mind reading powers because Dodge asks this this person who does not get a name. He's literally listed as unnamed Zahian, uh in IMDb, <laughs> and she only refers to him as her boyfriend. Right. Um, but I wanted to mention the actor's name as he is a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is David Carzell, and he is i mean i think that he's a representation of a couple different tropes that i like believe to be problematic um one of them is the black dude dies first trope god you're right um which he definitely is the first person to die in this episode um and also the like common occurrence of people who are of color being made into the aliens mm, whereas yes. white people still look human talk about that one i was also thinking um i mean well this actually happens twice in this episode but i was thinking like loved one who dies as origin story for hero oh right? yeah mm-hmm so, like, she's uh, immediately, like, not just am I being attacked, but, like, they killed my boyfriend in front of me, and that spurs her journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is which is kind of a flip be- in from a gender role sp- perspective, because that's more often a trope that happens, like, a girlfriend dies, yep. and then the man goes and crusades. Girlfriend in the freezer. Right. Yeah. Um. So, and we also learn in the scene that she just got... Uh, accepted to the Daystrom Institute mm-hmm. in Okinawa uh, to study robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, I She's think studying, they had some fancier names for it, yeah. but it was, it was robot science. It's artificial intelligence and quantum consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's cool. And I think at this point in the episode, we don't know why that would be weird. But later on, I was like, that is kind of weird. It's funny. It's very meta. Yeah. Uh, she's essentially, she is unaware of the fact that she's a th- synthetic but this field of study is very clearly one that relates to synthetics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And their their date gets interrupted by a bunch of ninjas coming through the window. And as we said, killing the boyfriend. They then, uh, they hood her and she kills all of them. And I noted a bunch of tropes here. It's, uh, first of all, Ooh. it's very like River from Firefly. Yes, river from Firefly. Absolutely. Just like girl who's hot girl who seems normal, but is actually like super powered ninja. Um, uh, just person who thinks that they're normal, who gets activated like Jason Bourne or any any number of spies. And, and then also agent. just like sleeper agents who are also uh, like robots like Boomer on uh, the first season of Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And um, they ask her a number of questions, which I think are interesting. They ask her where she's from, and she says Seattle. (laughs) I kind of love that she's from Seattle. I mean, I have such a, like, hometown pride for Seattle. Yeah. And then they they ask her, where are the others? Or, like, where are the rest of you? And then they use the words activated. They're like, she's not activated. And then when she starts fighting them, they're like, she's activated. I wanted to call out the, the goons. Oh, yeah. Um, so the these goons are dressed all in black with black helmets. Mm-hmm. And they show up twice. They show up later in this episode again and try to kill her a second time. They also appear to be all male bodied. They do appear to be all male bodied. It's another one of these things that makes it feel untrek to me um, in that 
the like this kind of like faceless enemy is not something that I am super familiar with from Trek. Like usually we know and we can see the faces of the people who are the attackers and it's very dehumanizing Mm -hmm. to have them not be have their faces visible. And so you don't have any like visceral reaction to them them being killed. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, she is concerned that she's killed them, mm-hmm. which she brings up later. She's like, am I some sort of like soulless killer? So even if we don't feel it, uh, we have to imagine that she did. Um, yeah. So the Th- next scene. Yeah. Then we're at Chateau Picard. And um, we meet Picard's housemates, caretakers. Yes. It's a little bit um, like unclear about who these folks are. Um, and when I first saw them, I thought that they were Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I also assumed they were Vulcans. I assumed they were Vulcans on the on the preview. But what I was writing down during the scene is like, who are these people to him? Because um, like we sort of, we get the beginning of the scene. He's just like going about his day with them. They're like feeding his dog. And then they're like prepping him for the interview. They're saying things to him that made me think they were very, very close. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're like, um, we will not forget what you did for us. And I'm like, what did he do for them? So then in the when it's revealed what he tried to do for the Romulans, it's like that's the only thing that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are uh, getting him like mentally and emotionally prepared for an interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first that he's done since the um, Romulan son went supernova. Yes. Yeah. Uh, since he left Starfleet. In since fact. he left Starfleet. Uh, so, yeah, so they, they tell him that they've confirmed three times that they won't ask him. You went over the terms. Three times, sir. She assured me she will not inquire about your separation from Starfleet. After so long, sometimes I worry you've forgotten what you did. Who you are. Lars, I... We have not... And sir, be the captain they remember. Um, But he's clearly changed. He's not that person anymore. Um, He's far angrier. He's disillusioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes out in this interview where the interviewer, uh, who's played by this badass lady, you looked her up, right? Marino Dungy? Marino Dungay? I don't know how to say (laughs) your name, Marino. Uh, yes, she was, or maybe Marina. Sometimes my phone makes like a a typo that Mm. would make more sense. But, um, she's on, uh, Brooklyn nine, nine as the Sarge's wife. Uh, she's been in like several episodes of many TV shows over the years, including, uh, Grey's Anatomy and Alias. So you probably recognize her too. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she does a great job, like in this one scene doing the interview, uh, and she asks him, why did he leave Starfleet? The <laughs> yeah. one question that she <laughs> promised not to ask. Bitch. Um, and it sets him off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was also like needling him up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's talking about the like, why would you help the Romulans? And he's like, millions of lives are at stake. And she's like, Romulan lives. No. I mean, like, we're very clearly reminded about what his values are and, and like, who Picard really is as a person. He's like, it doesn't matter where they come from or what mm-hmm. they look like. 
they're living sentient beings and that's what the Starfleet that I love was built on like protecting and upholding and you know then they didn't it's so it's so interesting because like over over time we've seen all these species in star trek sort of representing other countries that america's been in conflict or like representing like vulcans are are logical and like uh klingons are emotional and like romulans are like mean russians and it's just like always it's always something and then as the show goes on and gets more complex we meet other characters that don't feel that don't fit those stereotypes or you get the idea that like that's how the government behaves but it might not be how all the people behave like sorry guys i'm gonna bring it up again for instance on enterprise we we meet a Klingon who's a lawyer and is like, yeah, like everything went to shit when the warrior class took over. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not all like that. Um, and so I feel like one of the, th- my feeling from this episode is that one of the missions of this series is going to be to humanize, I guess, the Romulans in the same way that uh, like TNG humanized the Klingons and DS9 humanized the Ferengi, like that we will see characters of all different stripes from this species. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm looking forward to that. They're even the big bad in the um, first in the 2009 Uh Star Trek movie. Yeah, uh, which is also plotted around the supernova that destroys Romulus. Yeah, that might be interesting to to rewatch. We should look into it. Um, I think also Nemesis would be interesting to rewatch because that features the Romulans using a Picard clone played by Tom Hardy, who's very hot. That's all all I remember about that film. And then I think that's also the one where Data dies. Um, It wasn't a great film, but it seems related enough to this. It does seem relevant to this. A diehard should rewatch it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time rewatching about the Borg because we were like... Uh, excited about the return of Seven of Nine and Hugh is coming back. Um, so I'm sure that we will be getting Borg stuff. Um, Do you have anything else from this scene? He screamed at her. Right. So the <laughs> so the thing about this scene, he he's angry. He's like, I left Starfleet because it was no longer the Starfleet that I remember. Um, and he references the Battle of Dunkirk. You left the Enterprise to command the rescue armada. 10,000 warp-capable ferries, a mission to relocate 900 million Romulan citizens to worlds outside the blast of a supernova. A logistical feat more ambitious than the pyramids. The pyramids were a symbol of colossal vanity. If you want to look for historical analogy, Dunkirk. And uh, being as uh, neither of us are particularly well-versed in military history, we had to look this up. So I don't know if you needed to or not or haven't but maybe dunkirk, you guys also saw the dunkirk movie that came out for a few a few years ago and like knew i was like this is a world war ii battle <laughs> it was a fucking doomed world war ii va- battle ended up being a mass evacuation in order to save allied troops mm-hmm. um and still a lot of people died and um but it was probably one of the one of the reasons that the war effort ultimately was able to continue. Um, so it's a good reference, and it's like a reminder that Picard is very well versed in history, especially mm-hmm. military history, mm-hmm. um, and that he is a um, 
he is unique among the people or like rare anyway of the people of his time for being versed in history in that way. And then like also in this interview is when we actually learn that the people who destroyed Mars or the entities who destroyed Mars are the synthetics. Yeah, and they were hacked synthetics from like an unknown an unknown hacker and uh you were saying earlier and I wanted to hold on to this thought that like the the link between shutting down like the treaty that made the uses of synthetics illegal and abandoning the Romulans is unclear and it reminded me of uh, 9-11 and mm. how we started out in a war on terror and then ended up in a war in Iraq, which makes no fucking sense. And I, I feel like maybe that was intentional here. It's definitely like, well, we can't find our unknown enemy, so we can't fight them, but this is the enemy we already know about, so fuck those guys. My my guess is that as the series progresses, it will be it will make more sense. Like they will draw that connection for us, hopefully. Um. So yeah. So we'll put a pin in that like thing that doesn't really make sense and keep an eye on it as the series progresses. Yeah, and this is also where we get him saying that he left because it was no longer Starfleet, mm-hmm. which I feel like there's like some sort of meta discussion here between Picard leaving Starfleet because it wasn't upholding Starfleet values and um, fans who I predict won't like this show because the show is no longer upholding Starfleet values. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit cyclical here. Yeah. Um, And I I feel like, I don't know, I feel like something cool could come from this. Like maybe what we need nowadays to make the show more political is someone making the argument for original Starfleet values, which is what Picard will be doing over the course of the series versus having them as a given and then people watching at home going, oh, well, that doesn't apply to our lives. That's in the future. We're given a world that's much more similar to our world while someone fights for these things. So like that could be cool. Yeah, no, it is very similar. I was thinking about this a lot because it is it's it's just a complete reflection of the like distrust of institutions that is pretty prevalent in the United States right now. That was not the case when Star Trek, especially the next generation was um, out in the world. Uh, And it's like, I don't know, distrust of institutions when they are corrupt is, is logical. Like that's the only logical reason, Um, but entirely abandoning them and like deciding that anarchy is the better outcome is pretty naive in my opinion. And so like trying to rebuild and like reinvest trust into institutions is a project that I personally support. Wait, do you think, is Picard the one not trusting an institution here? (sighs) Yeah, well, I I think the institution betrayed his trust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that in our world today, yes, there is a lot of generalized distrust in institutions. I mean, I think that's yeah. good when it activates people. I think it also gets people to disengage. Right. So how do you like how do you walk that balance? How do you 
decide that something is salvageable versus that it needs to be just entirely uh, er like eradicated and replaced. It's a hard it's a hard thing to know, especially when it comes to things that are kind of hard to pin down in the way something like Starfleet would be. It's like it's not a single entity. It's mm -hmm. a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things. Yeah. And it's it's difficult to know where corruption is stemming from and how it can be eradicated and how to get a return to values. It's like, I don't know, ACAB, all cops are bad. Like, th that's not actually true. But at the same time, like, pres uh, I don't know, this is this is going off on a really fucking crazy tangent about prison abolition, which I don't think we need to get into. But um, when your institutions are totally broken... It's time for reform. This is why prisoners should be allowed to vote. Yeah, that is. I mean, absolutely, that needs to be. Anyway, so so we end this. We end this interview, and uh, then what? Picard gets drunk with his dog in a cute turtleneck. <laughs> that Baby, turtleneck is really good. It is. Baby girl Dodge shows up, right, and is like, "Do you know me?" And just comes at him with, like, a lot of information. She's like, bad shit happened to me. And he's like, calm down. He holds her hands. It's very sweet. He's very, like, fatherly. And um, I was I was into it. And then that's really all I have from that scene. Then really quickly, they're, they're drinking tea together. Um, the, the people who, at this point, I was assuming were Romulans and no longer Vulcans, were stitching up her head with, like, uh, some lasers. And uh, she asked him this poignant question. Have you ever... Ever what? Been a stranger to yourself? Many, many times. Which I, as a person who's been struggling with depression, have, like, just really keyed in for me because it's, like, being, like, who the fuck is this person that's inside of my head, you know? Oh, baby Becca. Aw. Um, but, yeah, it was a poignant conversation. Yes. Yeah, and she gets, the, she gets the Earl Grey hot in the fancy teacup with a saucer it's a beautiful red and white with some gold detailing i'm like lusting after that teacup too becca, i just want becca all on of... teacup watch over here <laughs> <laughs> don't you know it? i was like i want that glass of wine and you're like i want that teacup bitch. oh my god that glass of wine was massive picard was, was drinking a very big glass of wine it was big yeah 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 that ain't synthahol. hall mm -mm. mm -mm. <laughs> no nah, i mean he grew it himself right he must it's like you, you can't be drinking other people's wine Wine on your own mm -mm. vineyard that's just like mm -mm. oh i'm gonna a. keep doing this throughout the episode but there there's an episode where picard goes back to chateau picard and gets into a fist fight with his brother after they drink a bunch of wine very good you, you guys should go watch that one. <laughs> oh my gosh we should we should rewatch that <laughs> i'm gonna too. make i'm gonna make a, a list later um yeah so this scene is just like her telling him these two scenes are just her telling him what the fuck already happened and him being like I'm going to help you for some reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that he um, he's he's a person of great empathy, right? And so somebody in distress shows up at his door and he's like keyed to to step in. And then she comes at him with all of these like, I know you. And she says this line, everything inside of me says that I'm safe with you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Picard is the kind of person who could then like reject that. Right. Like, I just don't think that's possible. 
Um, but she does not stay with him. No. And it was interesting because I was just thinking to myself, he was like, you're safe here. And then I was like, is she? Because they're going to find her and they're going to kill everyone in this house because that's a trope that would happen next in a lot of movies or shows. Oh, yeah. And this must have also occurred to her because she bounced. Right. Yes. Um, um, but before she bounces, he has a dream. Yeah, he has a dream, another Data dream. This <laughs> yeah. time Data is painting a painting. Uh-huh. And what I one of the things that I loved about this dream is that they're both in their TNG uniforms. Yes. Um, and so is, there's just like that nostalgia wink there. Data's painting this painting. He wakes up from the dream, turns around, and the painting is on his mantle. It's a slightly different painting on his mantle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the, the one that's on his mantle has the figure in it that's hooded turned away. Yes. And... But he remembers that Data painted two editions of this painting. Sister painting? Sister paintings. <laughs> uh, and so that prompts him to travel to the Starfleet Ar- Quantum Archives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is a great set piece. Um, and one of the things that I love, like, as we arrive at this place, uh, an establishing shot shows the Golden Gate Bridge that has been converted into a solar farm. And I'm just so fucking into it. I'm like, yeah. That's awesome. I missed that. I think I was typing. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, my God. Also, I love, I forgot about transporters. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's like in southern France and like, now he's in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, when you're a beam of light, you can get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so there he gets, he enters this room that's just like bast and blinking with blue lights everywhere, talking to a figure all dressed in white that we quickly learn is like a hologram, of like basically an interface for the computer. And he's making sure that whatever he's about to access has not been accessed by anybody else ever. Yes. Which it hasn't, and it couldn't have been, and it's all very secure. It's secure. It's quantum. You know, okay. Uh, that's a word that means literally nothing or, because it's been so diluted. Literally anything you need it to. <laughs> Sciency. It, Do- it doesn't mean time. It just means science magic. Yeah, science magic. Uh, so through science magic, he retrieves the sister painting, mm-hmm. and dun dun dun. It's lo- It's not Lol's face. It's Dodge's face. It's Dodge's face. And okay, so I was. I feel really dumb. For not knowing that she was Lol. I mean, she's not really Lol. Lol is Data's daughter in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. He decides one day that he wants to have a child. And he creates a living being with a positronic brain. And it's really cool because he lets her choose her gender and species. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, am I going to be like a Klingon male? Am I going to be a human female? Am I going to be an Andorian male? And like she goes through a bunch of options. She ends up choosing human female. Um, she lives for a day or two and meets everyone on the ship. Uh, she develops feelings. And then it's all too complicated and it breaks her brain. And she dies. And it's very sad. And while Data claims to not have any emotions, he definitely mourns her. According to Memory Alpha, this painting was painted three years after she died. After Lal died? Yeah. Dodge and Lal are obviously different actresses. They look kind of similar. 
Dodge is like a hotter version of Lol. I guess. Yeah, or, or like he, a modern whatever. In in the episode that Lol shows up, she ends up wearing like the most dowdy <laughs> outfit. Yes. It's so lame. I think that the show was making a lot of attempts at the time to like not make her be sexy. Yeah. Because <laughs> sure. they wanted to drive home the fact that she was a child. Although Riker... Can I just, Riker immediately tries to tap that. Of course. And then Data's like, that is my daughter, sir. And he's like, never mind. And like, <laughs> turns around. He's like, that's a baby. I gotta leave. And she's an android. <laughs> and, and a one day old android. Not your best move. The man has no chill. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, you know, you, you miss 100% of the <laughs> that you don't try or whatever that Babe Ruth quote is. Yeah. Anyway. He's looking at, he finds this painting and then he leaves the quantum archive and boom, Dodge is there. Yeah. Because she was like kind of simultaneously running around in a panic and called her mom. Oh, yeah. She calls her mom and I'm just like, is her mom even real? No. I am like convinced that her mom is a bot. Yes. She calls her mom and she's like, I went somewhere for safety, but then I left because I didn't want them to get hurt. And her mom is like, go back to Picard. And she's like, uh, what? She's like, I never told you that I went there. How do you know, mom? And then her mom like activates her again. She's like, reach deep inside of yourself. You know what to do. Find Picard. And she does. And she's like magic hacking, like do, 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 do really fast. And then finds Picard. And at this point, Picard is 100% like this is lol 2.0. That's amazing that you find me. And he is like over the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great. He's definitely like immediately like this is my new charge. Um, And so they're walking around and talking and getting to know each other. She's like, I can hear people talking blocks away. I'm probably schizophrenic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because being schizophrenic gives you superpowers, like hacking and hearing people blocks away and, it's and like, being no. able to do ninja fighting. Right. It's like, when did you she's miss not- that you got bitten by a radioactive spider? Because that's clearly what happened. She's smart, but she's not that smart. <laughs> she's like, I'm going crazy. And then he's like, no, Data, like, he was a painter. He was my friend. Basically, like, tells her who she is. And she's like, no, it can't be. I don't want to be a soulless machine. And he's like, no, you are a soulful machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very, he's just very, very tender with her. And it made me fall in love with him, like, again. And I think it's, like, a very different uh, version of Picard. Like, I think we see him being, like, inspiring and like a leader but we don't see a lot of tenderness from him Mm. in tng like on occasion oh another good episode the episode where he gets trapped with the children in the elevator oh yeah oh my god he does not know what to do it's so funny he's so awkward with those little kids for a while but then he gets it he gets it he like teaches them how to sing frere jaca it's really great um So, yeah, if you want to see the origins of Picard being tender, I'll add this to my list. And then she's like, her spidey senses go off. We got to go. They found me. And they run up some stairs for some reason. And uh, we get a little bit of a nod to the fact that uh, that Sir Patrick Stewart is... He's real old. He's old because he's like panting up the (laughs) stairs. But they don't actually do anything about that because she's like, we don't have time and then pulls him and then yeah. he's okay. It's like, I know. No, I want to have a hard time going upstairs. I'm like, bitch, you're an android. Pick him just, up. Yeah, right. Just pick him up. I feel like she should have, but that would have been the optics would have been really funny. <laughs> um, but so they're, they're under attack now by more of these black booted goons. One of their helmets gets knocked off. Um, the mm-hmm. internet says 
that this means that they're Romulan. Yeah. Um, in my mind, I'm like, they're Romulan or Vulcan. Like, I get that the Romulans are the people in this series, but you can't tell just by looking at them. They look the same. Whatever, guys. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, like, I'm totally right there with you. And she, he starts bleeding, like, acid blood, which he spits at her, which also lands on, like, his broken gun, and then her face is, like, acid melting, his face is melting, and then the gun explodes, and she dies in a big explosion, and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's like, oh, this this character that we spent this whole episode getting to know is just (laughs) dead now. He's mourning the loss of her, but still also trying to piece apart this mystery. And so the next scene, he's at the... um, He goes off to the Daystrom Institute. Um, Maybe this is a good time to take a break before we get into that. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Never saw the sun shining so bright. Never saw things going so right. Noticing the days hurrying by when you're in love my how they fly oh blue skies smiling at me nothing but blue skies do i see all right welcome back Welcome back okay so we were about to talk about the scene where Picard yes. goes to the Daystrom Institute Brief plug to listen to our episode called Toxic Masculinity with a Side of Space Whales, where you can hear about our thoughts about Dr. Leah Brahms, a graduate of the Daystrom Institute. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so he's there and he meets a, a woman who works there, Dr. Agnes Gerardi, mm-hmm. who is a blonde white lady mm-hmm. played by Allison Pill. She was wonderful in the newsroom. If you're into Aaron Sorkin. She is like a scientist in the gutted synth lab. Yeah. They're like, this is the synth lab and it's just a bunch of empty tasks. (laughs) And I love how Picard's like, it's a ghost town. Whereas like, I would have just assumed that everyone was at lunch. Right. Yeah, right. (laughs) And he's like, tell me about your research. How's it going? Whatever. And she says that they have like synths have been outlawed and research about them has been curtailed uh, to the point where they can do theoretical work and they can run simulations, but they can't build anything real. It kind of reminded me, um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Ooh, I haven't read it, but I did watch the Amazon adaptation. Oh my god. It's, it's pretty good. It's, it's it's so good, but this the beginning the premise of the book, the beginning of the book is that like there've been no real magicians in like hundreds of years and like all magicians are just writing theory theoretical magic and like uh engaging in analysis but not creating any new content. Like they can't make real robots, but they could write about robots on paper. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. You know, magic robots. Is there a difference? I don't know. One's like maybe done in a shiny or more like chrome plated lab, Mm -hmm. uh, which this definitely is. What's that? What's that law that people love to quote and love to hate on? Um, That any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. 
Yes. Arthur C. Clarke is the yeah. originator of that particular yeah. tidbit, um, which is debated. There's a really excellent uh, episode of Our Opinions Are Correct. I just listened to that. It's so good. It's really good where yeah. they talk about that as a concept. Um so shout out to that podcast, which we've referenced before and we fucking love. Anyway, they are uh, they're talking about synth re- research and they bring up this guy, Dr. Maddox, yes. who is a person that we met originally on Measure of a Man episode yes. of The Next Generation. Bruce Maddox. He's kind of a douchebag. He's like... He might have been 30. I, he looks like a 22-year-old who just, like, shows up on the Enterprise. And he's like, guess what, Data? I'm going to take you apart. Mm-hmm. And Data's like, no, thank you, sir. He's and like, he's like, well, uh, I got you reassigned. So now you work for me. And I'm going to take you apart to learn how your brain works. And Data's like, no, thank you. And then they have a trial where Commander Riker is like on his side and then Captain Picard is on Data's side. Yeah. They have a real judge, but no real lawyers. The, the jurisprudence in this particular case is like, what the fuck is going on? How is this how is this legal in any way? Also, the judge is one of Picard's ex-girlfriends, which is another uh I don't know, not <laughs> added wrinkle. Yeah. It's like nobody's nobody in this trial is impartial. Nobody has, like, eliminated their conflicts of interest. It's just, like, it's it's totally bogus. But the heart of what's... a great episode. The heart of that episode, and it is definitely one of, like, one of the standout episodes of TNG, is the conversation about what does it mean to be human? Yes. Yeah. And so, and, like, I think that this series... Is data sentient... And I think they decide yes. Yeah, is Data an individual with rights, or is he? Does he belong to to Starfleet? Um, and it's also one of Guinan's finest moments. Well, consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. They do the work that no one else wants to do because it's too difficult or too hazardous. And an army of Data's all disposable. You don't have to think about their welfare. You don't think about how they feel. Whole generations of disposable people. Yes. Which brings me to the thing that, the, like, the number one thing that I was thinking about after having watched this episode. Oh, yeah. Which is the, like, that this is an incarnation, at least in my view, of the panic about the singularity <laughs> which is a topic of conversation in tech circles in san francisco i don't know who's talking about it outside probably other people but i don't know i mean like a lot of our science fiction over the last 20 years yeah that's but, true but right, even that, the last ep- even the last season of discovery and take over right yes yes okay yeah um and so yeah so the singularity is uh a sufficiently advanced artificial intelligence which is indistinguishable in uh inability from humans would like as soon as it's created would perpetuate itself become a super intelligence and like then the matrix happens and <laughs> or terminator and, and, or terminator and it, or whatever it is a lot of them yeah um but my pet peeve about this particular fear stems from a number of conversations that i've had with tech bros that 
one of at least one of them said to me explicitly that he's not worried about climate change because the singularity is going to happen first, and so we don't have to we don't have to solve for the apocalypse of climate change because the apocalypse is, the singularity is coming and like we can't stop that either. So that's a very morally convenient position. It's a my like, my ex's dad is a robot scientist yeah. and he did not believe that the singularity was a risk and thought it was science fiction writers giving roboticists a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the but the baseline, the underlying fear that's there that that's rooted in is one of class warfare. Yes. Where the underclass is also like at some point going to achieve the ability to have an extreme amount of power or become conscious of the fact that they do have enough power to rebel and of course when they rebel they will be angry mm-hmm. Pe- once a i mean it's not an entity un- unreasonable fear i mean, I mean by I being afraid it, of it it's saying that you're on the wrong side of it this fear that like achieving emancipation is automatically the same as enacting vengeance Mm. is a false connection like it just isn't borne out by history that once people have been emancipated that they like revolt and become violent over whoever was oppressing them like that happens but not to a particular not to this like kind of kind of extent yeah like most of like more often people become emancipated and then they just like live their fucking lives the right the right thing to think, the right lesson to draw from that is to not be shitty and oppress other people. The right lesson is not to sublimate that fear and be afraid of robots that don't even <laughs> exist yet. Exactly. Um, exactly. Coming, Bringing this back to what's going on in Star Trek Picard, can you make a synth? Can you, make a, can you make a synthetic out of human flesh and blood? And she's like, no, we can't even really make a regular one that's as good as data. But like, that's not possible. They have a whole conversation about whether or not it's possible. And he's like, I just had tea with one. Here's her necklace. And she's like, oh, that necklace means that it's real. First, she's like, no, it's not possible. It hasn't been accomplished. It won't be for a thousand years. And then he shows her this thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, we were growing them in pairs. And uh, she has a twin. Oh, intertraction. He's like... She has a twin, and then the woman's like, "Oh, yeah, I guess they could be girls." And it's like, "What?" Like she's a woman, she's a robot scientist, and her like what she's surprised about now is that the android was a woman. Why? Why is this even a surprise? But it's like it's like a little bit of weird kind of sexism. So now we know that she has a twin. We immediately meet this twin. Um, but when what before we move to that scene, which is like the end of the episode i do want to point out that the like the way that these synths that are twins are created are from data yeah like they cannot be made without him or without his like stored consciousness without his like positronic neurons exactly and there's some they make up some techno babble that i think it's called fractal neuronal cloning or something something like that yeah and And they're getting them from b4 yeah which did we talk about b4 i don't think so okay b4 is from nemesis Mm -hmm. which is the star trek movie with tom hardy right 
and which also has the Romulans. So I guess we all have to watch it now. It's not that great, but we'll we'll live. It's another Noonian type, Soong type droid that's not Data and not his brother Lore that was like an earlier prototype. And uh, he doesn't work that great. <laughs> he doesn't. And, but, and so Data um, uploads his memories to B4. Like really, he really wants a brother. He like really wants this to work. And uh, it doesn't really work, but you kind of leave the movie with a glimmer of hope that when Data dies, like maybe he's not really dead because he's inside of B4. Uh, it didn't work. His like brain overloaded and he died because like it was too complicated mm-hmm. for him. And but, now they have him stored in a drawer. Yes. <laughs> it like... Like a broken Barbie doll. And, and like, we learn kind of vaguely that the reason that synths exist or that Dodge and her sisters maybe exist at all is because of Data having uploaded himself into B4. B4 is at the Daystrom Institute and through some process that was developed by that asshole Maddox. Yes. Uh, they are able to create these intelligences. But I guess now she's like, well, it must have worked because the only other person who knows about this symbol is like someone else who worked in this program or Maddox. Mm-hmm. So and like, why would a person be running around wearing that symbol? And then in the next scene, we meet the other one and she's wearing the same fucking necklace, which mm-hmm. is like if they're supposed to be in hiding. Yeah. Also, like, they're, everybody's like, oh, that's so unique. What a unique necklace. It's just like two circles. Yeah. It's very basic. No, I mean, I like I like other sci-fi that does this differently, like the neck barcodes or like um, that was in Dark Angel, mm. which is a great show from like the late 90s um (laughs) and or or like some kind of tattoo or like subdermal implant or something that you know something that you couldn't just like accidentally lose when you go to the beach yeah or leave at someone's vineyard when you're fleeing their (laughs) hospitality right they have so we finish the episode in the Romulan reclamation site. We see Dodge again, except uh, her name is like Dodge. Soji. Soji Asher. Dr. Soji Asher. Uh, and then some British Romulan is like kind of flirting with her. Yeah. I thought he was cute. He is, uh, I looked this up, he's played by Harry Treadaway, one of the actors in Penny Dreadful, mm, another yeah. phenomenal show. I think what I got from that scene is that he's that he's doing this like broken boy, please save me. It did, it did seem her. a little false to me. It felt manipulative. He was like, hello, I want to meet you. My brother died. And she's like, I want to comfort you and your dead brother. Yeah. And then also she said that she had a twin. So we're like, oh, is it Dodge? And she's about to be sad when she learns that Dodge is dead. I like how that hit both of us is like very manipulative. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's and he was also... Um, um, <laughs> we had a little bit of a like disagreement because I was like, I'm just very aware of the fact that he's at least 10 years older than he- her right now. And you're like, oh, but she's like a synth. She can be ageless. And that's true. But also the actress is 20. And uh, the actor who plays this Romulan character is 35. Hmm. See, that maybe that's why I didn't think he looked old because like, that's my age. But also all the young people are also my age because I like to think that I'm not old while I'm watching TV. Right. We all compress these ages now. I just like I'm 
I I don't know why it is, but I'm particularly sensitized to how old people are and how old people are in relationship to one another. And it just almost always happens that the women are younger than the men. Yeah. In Hollywood. In Hollywood. So I've got some other stuff to talk about. Yeah. So I just wanted, we've got this twin theme throughout the episode. Uh, and that reminded me of, they talk a lot about Romulus, mm-hmm. but um, the Romulans actually come from two planets, Romulus and Remus, which were also twin brothers who were born to a wolf and founded Rome in ancient mythology. So we've got this twin thing at the heart of like this whole story. I always thought that was a very silly thing that there was like a planet out there in the galaxy that had the same name as like these ancient Roman brothers. But then that's also all of the original series when you watch it. Yeah. Like I flew to the other end of the galaxy and I ran into some people running the mafia. And then on this planet, there are Nazis. (laughs) And then also there's like the twin story of the Romulans and the Vulcans as two species Mm -hmm. that used to be the same species probably at some point. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about, so this show is a little bit less optimistic. In this episode, we see Starfleet and the Federation acting kind of isolationist. Like, we're not going to help people who used to be our enemy, even when they're in grave danger. We're not going to separate the idea of citizens of another um, government from uh the government itself. It's like, what, you're mm. at war with the Romulans, you're not at war with Every individual Yeah, Romulan. like Romulan refugees, yes. like from a natural disaster. That's Those are two very different things. And like them forgetting that or being like, we're going to just act out of fear and outlaw all synthetics because one time they got hacked, even though Data got hacked, like, I think at least twice <laughs> during TNG and they never did shit about that. And also, like, Lore got all the colonists on that planet killed and no one gave a fuck about that either. So it's like they had some sort of suddenly they've gone into this like tipping point place with synthetics. Um, but it actually brought me back to an idea that I have about history that I think is a little bit more accurate. We tend to view history as like forward progress, you know, that like back in time, people were racist and like now we're less racist and back in time, women didn't have rights and now they have more rights. And then like every generation and every year, like things get more and more advanced when actually history is more cyclical Mm. and at any point we can fall backward. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if he can get them to get back to a more progressive place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the notion that like a single individual can adhere to values and then those values change over time and they like become foreign to the um, to the entity that they used to feel was their home. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. kind of this like alienation in a way i feel i I mean like i really feel for picard in this i feel like he's trying to stick to his principles in a world that doesn't really want him to so anything else i'm looking for i'm looking forward to the rest of the season i think that we are in for an interesting ride i think that's it uh follow us at intertractional on Twitter and Instagram. Join our Facebook group. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of this episode. Uh, tell your friends. Um, write us a review. Oh, yeah. Please write us a review. We will give you a shout out if you write us a review. Heck yeah. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.
Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Motola-Barnes. Original music by Danny Kafka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. Tell us what you think. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Okay, I'm recording. Uh. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> oh my God. I may have gotten that on. Great. On the recording. This is what happens when you hurriedly eat White Castle followed by bubbly water. <laughs>